Hey guys, G-Man here. Thank you so much for downloading this week's episode of the Fun V Tailgate presented by Thunderblogsports.com, a part of the Bullpen Cart podcast feed. I had the return of Greg the Prophet Piatelli with me today, and we recapped the weekend that was in the NFL Divisional Playoffs including the Eagles going to the NFC Championship, as did Greg's Patriots. They'll each be facing the Vikings and Jaguars, respectively. We break down those matchups, as well as a little bit of the coaching carousel. We end things with Greg's thoughts on the NHL, as we've uh, been covering the midpoint of the season in this past week. If you haven't read those blog posts, go check it out on the website. As always, please like, share, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, again, under the bullpen cart. Find us on Twitter. ThunderBLG is our handle there. Thunderblog Sports are the handles on Instagram and Facebook. ThunderblogSports.com is where you can find all of our great blog posts and sports coverage. But as always, enjoy this week's episode. And we are live. Welcome to this week's episode of the podcast here on the bullpen cart podcast feed presented by thunderblogsports.com the canel the g-man with me making his triumphant return is my man the bostonian bandit i don't know why i called you that greg piantelli what's up buddy you know jordy doing well um pretty exciting weekend um great weekend of football my first um venture into the fun v tailgate football pod my first yep. invite i should say so uh pretty excited pretty, pretty exciting time and uh excited to give it a go see see how see how i do yeah you know uh it, it happened to work out because matt's been away he's been uh on a ski adventure first in vermont now he's uh on his way out to utah uh but i i even thought it it only makes sense especially given how saturday ended up going that you come on because as we've always as we've mentioned a number of times especially in the the more bullpen cart side of things, you keep me in check with Philadelphia. And Matt, is, as, as, as excited as I get about Philly sports, Matt is like a fucking kid in a candy store. And, you know, we have a lot of listeners that are from our, our great city. Um, but, you know, we have some that, that don't particularly care for, for our sports, you being one of them. Uh, and I'm glad that you get to, to keep me in check here, uh, even though, you know, we're playing with house money here. In the uh, getting it, getting to our uh, NFC Championship berth, we, uh, or at least some of us, are aware of the, the, the draw of it. You know, it's one of those things where I, uh, I, I obviously, I, I like the fact that you're passionate about uh, your sports and and everything like that. I'm passionate about uh, uh, my sports teams as well. It's just tough because you know you. Um, you specifically, Jordy, come on and, and talk about how great the 76ers and the Flyers and, you know, the Phillies. I mean, we, we talk about the Phillies at, at length in uh, the bullpen cart. But, you know, the, the 76ers and, Phil, and the Flyers aren't doing as well as uh, as the pod uh, may suggest or the way that you talk about them on the pod. But that's uh, for the end of the show and for a later time. Yeah, I'm uh, cautiously optimistic. I'm not, the, I'm not of the... 
we're going to win the Stanley Cup, NBA Championship, Super Bowl as soon as they score a basket or you know whatever point. I, I I try to keep it keep it light, you know, not not rip people apart. I get very excited, as you know. Uh, yeah, but I mean, listen, I'm all about passion, I'm all about sports, and I I didn't know, um, you know, this weekend, you know, you can talk about the the Vikings little uh, chomp that they do, you know, to see that was unbelievable. Yep. Um, you know, you see all the videos, not only in the in the stadium and Case Keenum leading them when they kneeled down instead of kicking the field goal, which we can talk about Vegas and, and all that, the point spread and everything. But, uh, you know, you even see NHL guys doing it on the bench and, you know, they were doing it uh, different games across or different bars across uh, the country and everything like that. So, yeah. you know, sports is great because it brings people together and passion is awesome. But, um, you know, like I said, it's good every now and again to get someone on uh, your pod specifically – uh, who can can remind those uh, casual sports fans, listeners, that uh, not everything is is roses in, in Philadelphia, and uh, the the 76ers are not in first place, despite your uh, your assurances, I should say, the way you talk about them. <laughs> well, I'm gonna put it to you this way: so the Eagles are the first Philadelphia team, and I'd have you guess, but you'd probably wouldn't get it. To advance around in the playoffs since the 76ers in 2012 for Philadelphia. Since then, the Eagles have made the playoffs once. The Phillies have not. The Flyers have made the playoffs twice and lost in the first round. And the or they have now made it tw- and the Eagles have made it one more time, obviously winning this past Saturday. It's a big deal. Big deal. No more one and or at least for the moment, no more one and dones. We at least have a one win. Well, you know, Doug Peterson will be at least 500 in his uh, postseason record entering the 2018 season next next fall. So uh, we have that to be excited about, Uh, you know, uh, but it's been for a city that's always been the bridesmaid and never the bride. In other words, a lot of our teams have made the playoffs pretty consistently um, up until probably, I'd say, 2010. you know, it's it's you know it's been a little bit of a drought for postseason appearances. So it's nice to have the Eagles back there. Uh, we'll get to the Flyers and my future optimism for them. Uh, but they were always also the uh, the Peyton Mannings to the Pittsburgh Penguins, Eli Mannings, if you will. So, do you want to start in the NFC or do you want to start in the AFC? What are we What are we doing here? Uh, we can start with you. We'll start with the AFC. Uh, I, you I obviously. Mind. The shock of no one, the so Patriots. Give, yeah, give a, give a recap of, of both games, and we'll go from there. Yeah, so the, to the shock of no one, the Patriots manhandled. Ask you, were you ever worried about this? Did you watch it intently, or did you kind of just sit there with one eye on it and kind of wondered, you know, looked up, you know, the other two games, kind of scouted the, the Sunday game? No, did you see the score? I mean, the Patriots were down 7 nothing at the end of the first, but – you know, I wasn't too concerned or worried or, or surprised in any way. Um, you know, it's one of those things where teams can always get up, um, <clears throat> certainly in terms of emotionally for for playing on the road and for the Patriots. You saw it in every other game um, with the underdog winning in every game except for New England-Tennessee game. Um, and then the Patriots went off and ripped 21 straight points uh, in the second quarter alone, the most points they've, ever, they've had in a playoff game up 
a playoff game in one quarter, which was, you know, surprising that that was the first time they've ever done that. And that then obviously the, the, they come out in third and stop the Titans opening drive and then get another touchdown to take an even larger lead. And, you know, they trade touchdowns in the fourth. But honestly, um, going into the game matchup-wise, I knew the, the Patriots had a slight edge. Um, but it's tough because I think the Titans' defense – underrated in terms of how how good they've been all year and I think it was a good way for the Patriots to prepare for either the Steelers or the Jaguars whoever would have won that game obviously not knowing on Saturday but um you know because like I said they are they do fly around they are athletic and they virtually held the Patriots run game you know for lack of a better word the the run game didn't really do much and and um it was good that the Patriots were able to move the ball uh, and get creative with the ways they move the ball. And James White came back from injury. Chris Hogan came back from injury. So it was almost like a, a preseason for the playoff game since they needed to get their guys and timing right with uh, all that stuff. And James Harrison looks like a monster and an animal, and I can't wait for him to get some sacks again next week. But, uh, you know, it was a good game, and, and Mariota and the Titans certainly are going to go far in the future. It's tough because they fired – their coach today or, yep. or like, not today, I guess Monday, whatever, whenever you release it. Yep. Um, <laughs> they fired their coach today, which is surprising. You know, you're talking about a team and a coach that really turned the culture and the team around in Tennessee recently. And, and uh, it'd be interesting to see who they interview and, and what happened there. And, and, and he got a playoff win. It's, you know, if you're, if you're a coach in the NFL, if you're a coach anywhere and you win a playoff game, um, and you make it to the second round of the playoffs and you lose to the defending Super Bowl champs and the best organization in the last, you know, what, however many years, um, and yet somehow you don't get an extension from the team and you get essentially let go, that's tough. a tough look for the NFL and a tough, looks, tough look for coaches everywhere because, you know, like I said, this guy has turned the team around and got his team into the playoffs and won a playoff game which honestly between us, Jordy, the fact that the Titans beat the Chiefs and the Patriots got to play the Titans, uh, I was able to personally um, watch, enjoy the game more because I would be, I would have been very nervous and on edge if it was the Chiefs. Yeah, take a, take a nice little breath instead of uh, having to worry about the uh, the the Chiefs. Yeah, I mean that would have been, it would have been. I still, I think the Patriots still would have pulled it out, especially because the Chiefs kind of lost their edge coming down the coming down the stretch. They showed a little bit of it in the late. Later weeks, but uh, yeah, you never know. You know, you're right, but it's tough because it's you know it's one of those things where it's like the Patriots, for whatever reason, uh, in recent years have not been able to match up well against the Chiefs. Um, No, and you know they get to play them again again next year because the Chiefs division. So you know we'll see how that goes, but uh, hopefully, hopefully uh, they can figure it out and Andy Reid can continue to choke and, and make terrible play calls, but that's uh, for last week's pod. And let's move on to the other AFC game. Well, before I do, before we do move on to it, I, I just read here that apparently McDaniels is the uh, Josh McDaniels Patriots offensive coordinator is potentially the, the favorite to get the gig. Do you think the Titans just saw him call that second quarter? And we're like, this guy out of here, get malarkey out. <laughs> No, I mean it, it's tough because McDaniel's every single year has been has been for the last three years. I guess he he's been 
rumored and interviewed in all these different places. And obviously they announced the Patriots announced that their defensive coordinator, Matt Patricia is going to be the head coach of the lions. So, you know, it makes sense that, that um, McDaniels would leave and McDaniels, you know, not many people know this. McDaniels, they actually offered him the the 49ers job last year before yep. John Lynch got hired, and he didn't want to go there because he didn't like the GM and, and this and that. And then a couple weeks later, they fire the GM, bring in John Lynch, and, you know, he had missed his opportunity to work there. So, yeah, um, you know, it, it's one of those things where he, um, you know, they, they, they've been talking the, – the Patriots have been talking about it and the media, I should say, around in Boston have been saying that, McDaniels, because this is his second go around and, and coaches in the NFL really only get two chances. Um, you know, very rarely do you see a head coach get a third chance unless he leaves on his own. Um, so this would be his second chance being that he was in Denver before and now, um, you know, wherever he ends up, but this would be a second chance to be a head coach. And this is, he wants to go to a situation where, you know, he can be picking and choosy because he has a good reputation and he, and, he found some success in Denver and ultimately failed in the end. But, you know, he's since learned from his mistakes, I guess, as they say. And like I said, he's looking for the right situation, the right GM, the right owner um, for him to succeed because he doesn't have that safety net of being able to get another chance. You know, this is sort of it for him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see who comes up. And there's the new darling of the Belichick coaching tree. Uh, you know, now that you basically have both coordinator positions open. Um, I would, yeah, for mean, whatever reason, I thought Bill O'Brien had gotten fired and I was Googling him to see if there was any rumors of it, but no, he's still the Houston's head coach or uh, head coach of the Texans. So, yeah, I mean, uh, I think, I think it's tough because he, Bill O'Brien with the Texans, I mean, you know, he's an offensive mind and, and their defense has been doing so well. And now he has a quarterback and has weapons around yeah, his quarterback and his offense, and and I think they they want to give him another chance. And um, but back to Daniels, back to Daniels. I mean, honestly, everyone in New England, in terms of fans, are hoping that he stays, and everyone yeah. in New England is hoping that he uh, he is the heir apparent, if you will. But um, you know, who knows when Belichick will retire, and and who knows what, what the deal with that is. Um, yeah. But no, honestly, Jordy, Tennessee would be a great place for McDaniel's. Um, they've been rumored, McDaniels, especially with that offense. Yeah, exactly. And McDaniel's yeah. rumored with uh, the Giants and and the Titans, and uh, you know he talked to Detroit and he talked to all these other teams. But you know it's it's good for him, and and he deserves all the praise. He's been unbelievable um, as an offense. Forget player. he was Tim Tebow's coach in Denver. He's he's part yeah. of Tebow mania. Yeah, you can't you can't win a playoff game with Tim Tebow and and not be a good coach, right? <laughs> exactly. Uh, but yeah, do you want to do you want to? I mean, do you have anything else to say about the Titans and Patriots game? I know we rambled on there. You can probably cut a lot of that out, or just, no, I don't know. No, I never cut your stuff. You're you're always gold. No, um, kind of answer your question though, because I was at the Eagles game, I missed most of the first half of the of the Patriots Titans game. So I uh. I tuned in basically when it was 21-7 around halftime when I finally met up with my friends at at, uh, at the bar. Uh, and, yeah, I just kind of – we Double were bragging with friends. Yeah, you know, I have some – you know, not to brag. I have, I have a few pals. Um, <laughs> I love know, it. I've come so far since high school, Greg. Yeah, you um, good friends in high school. Why do you say yeah, that? Yeah, you know, I mean, some people, some people help me uh, make some friends. But let's not talk about me being a weirdo. Let's talk about this. But I, I basically, though, got to the bar, saw the score, 
and as we're talking about the Eagles and all that, and who would you rather play, who would you rather want to see, um, kind of just kept an eye out, out on, on the Patriots. So, I mean, it seemed like business as usual to me. I eventually did come back and see the highlights, and you, you hit a lot of the nails on the head. Um, I did see Rex Burkhead should be active for Sunday too, so that should help with the running game. Um, and we can kind of look in, look ahead once we talk about yesterday, the or Sunday afternoon's game. The Jaguars coming out incredibly hot to really then be able to hold off the Steelers, who for really about a quarter and a half looked like they were a college team against this defensive just basically a stone wall that Jacksonville threw up against him. I mean, Leonard Fournette goes off, obviously has three touchdowns over 100 yards. But Big Ben, despite the fact that he ended up having five touchdowns, he looked terrible for a while. Um, Pittsburgh, though, storms back and going for it a number of times on fourth down were both great payoffs because they had two touchdowns from it. But a couple weird coaching calls at the very end could have cost them this uh, huge comeback for Pittsburgh. Yeah, and you know, Big Ben's. We can go to the interception right away. I mean, that was a tip ball and a great catch by a great linebacker. Play. You know, you don't you don't necessarily see that from a linebacker. You know, hands team, um, but you know that that certainly set the tone. And and you thought, okay, here we go again because Big Ben with his interceptions last time they played Jacksonville and and he. Where I think the the Steelers got in trouble in the first quarter is they really tried to establish the run against a team that all year has proven if you try to run against them, you're not going to win. Yeah. Um, you know, and I mean, I was going to ask you this question. Like you said, the, an offense that looked so dormant in the first quarter and a half, how do they then turn around and put up 42 points? You know, can you yeah. attribute that to the the Jaguars playing soft defense and, and trying to play that uh, preventative D, or can you establish it to – the Steelers are good and they just started to throw the ball and stop running the ball and, and just started to sling it around and, and, and try and get their way, force their way back into the game. Yeah. I think it's a little bit of both um, Jacksonville. I think they didn't completely take their foot off the gas, but you could tell they kind of shied away from the initial, you know, the initial offense that got them to the big lead. They got, Blake Bortles a little more involved and his receivers. I mean, that guy needs, needs a couple other weapons around him aside from Leonard Fournette. Um, you also had T Y Yeldon playing out of his mind for, uh, for a good part of that, that start. And he, he really helped out as did Fournette through, uh, yeah, I mean, Yeldon, but I mean, are we surprised? I mean, Yeldon, it was Alabama back. He was always good in big games for them. And, and, yeah. I'm pretty I sure he was still in the NFL though. Cause he isn't really, I mean, obviously Fournette's done what he's done, but um, he really, since coming to the Jaguars hasn't, he's been hurt. He's been not so good. I've tried. I mean, I had the same thought of you for years trying to put, trying to get him almost like a Maurice Jones drew type of a team with this. So, so quarterback, you know, and, and make him the feature piece and never really seemed to, to pander out. So, I mean, this is, that's a career defining game for him yesterday. Um, but I think kind of to, to go out to give credit to the Steelers, I think Antonio Brown back from his injury looked great. And he finally started to play really well. I think after he shook the cobwebs off, I mean, he had two touchdown catches, one of which being on that, that fourth, fourth and 11 from the 40, uh, like 42 yard line where he just splits a couple defenders gets one. I think that helps out a lot. And this offense that everybody was touting from the get go of the season 
um, kind of just woke woke back up. Um, but I just think they dug themselves too big of a hole to to sur- you know surpass it. Yeah, and I think honestly the biggest surprise of the whole game is that you know you think of the Jaguars and you don't think of a team that can win in a shootout, if you will, yeah. and. And, you know, you figured that this 45 to 42 game would have been between the Steelers and the Patriots. Yeah, exactly. Um, trading touchdowns, trading blows like they did in the regular season. But it really was a, you know, the Jack- Jaguars got up. They had, they were basically asserting their will and dominance over a young Steelers defense that is not the same Steelers defense that we've come to know in, in recent years. Yeah, it's not um, the steel curtain. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, it, it something interesting that that i've found or looked into and in games that antonio brown has monster numbers and Le'Veon bell does not do well is really when the steelers lose or struggle or or you know you saw it against the patriots you saw it yesterday you saw it um in a couple of uh, in two of their three losses is when antonio brown goes off it's you know their run game they score too quickly, I guess. You know, they give they give their opponents time to, you know, this happens to the Patriots a lot too. It's, you know, when you score too quick and your defense is forced to play so much because the other team is constantly, the other team's offense is constantly on the field and your defense is constantly on the field, they get tired, they get worn out. And, and you know, this was the opposite. I think the Steelers came into the game a little um, confident, a little, you know, they were looking ahead. They were talking about, the Patriots, they're talking about their rematch and how they wanted it and blah, blah, blah. And they really overlooked the Jaguars and the Jaguars established themselves as a team that should not be overlooked. And, you know, we can talk about Blake Bortles and you can say he's so, so, but how many third down, how many third and longs did he convert with his arm? That's true. How many times did he make the right read, the right pass? I mean, he was torching the Steelers defense up the middle, across the middle with passes that you wouldn't think would would happen across the middle on a Steelers defense. And he kept getting first down after first down on third and long, keeping his team on the field and keeping the Steelers defense on the field. And that I think more than anything else is really what you need out of a, a quarterback who has two great running backs and, um, you know, has the ability. I mean, you wouldn't think Blake Borles would, would throw only one touchdown pass and two, four, 214 yards and win a game 45 with 45 points in it. But like I said, he managed the clock and he got them um, off the, or he he kept their their offense on the field and, and had some big conversions on third and long. So a dominant defense and decent quarterback play with a perhaps stable of running backs. It's a it's a winning combination. You're saying? Um. So we can we can we can try and translate that to the the Eagles, but let's let's do predictions for next week. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So we the Patriots open. What's what's the line opening at for uh, hosting the game? It's the early game, uh, three o'clock. Um, I don't remember it being that early last year. I remember like going to bed at nine o'clock after the the AFC Championship game. But um, I'm trying to load it up now of what the the line is. Do you have a number, Greg? Mm, I think that they are opening at like uh, nine, eight or nine. I nine think nine points. Yeah, yep, that's what I have here. I just pulled it up. Nine points for the Patriots, over under 46 and a half. So uh, they're thinking that that the the Patriots will either go up huge um, early or that Fournette can get some points up there. I mean, he's kind of – I would think he's where that offense hinges. Um, 
for them. I mean, you've watched the the Patriots defense a little more than I have, obviously. Um, yeah, I mean, the, I mean they- the Patriots defense and Belichick and his MO is really to try and um, take away a, a team's best asset, if you will. And, exactly. You know, they, they, they force other guys to beat them than, than, than a team's star. Um, the issue here is that the Patriots' D-line and linebackers have been inconsistent stopping the run all year, and that is the Jaguars' you know, top go-to, um, whatever. That's, the, that's, their, that's their thing. So I think the Patriots are going to try and slow down the run game, and I think they're going to try and force Blake Bortles to throw the ball and beat them through the air, which you know we'll see if he can do because he's a, a decent quarterback. But if we're talking about a shootout between – Blake Bortles and Tom Brady. Um, if the Patriots are lucky enough to stop the run, then you know I'm obviously going to take Tom Brady. But nine nine points is tough. I mean, the, the Patriots were 13, 14 point um, favorites on the the Titans, and I thought that was a huge line. But nine points for for a, a, a conference championship game that seems that's so a lot high and. Um, you know, I think, I think it's closer than nine. I, I think, I don't think the spread, I think the Jaguars, uh, keep it closer than nine, but I do ultimately think the Patriots are just too many weapons on offense in terms of, you know, yeah, the Jaguars defense is good and they fly around and they're athletic, but there's too many, too many options to stop for the page for coming out of the Patriots when the Jaguars MO is to stop the run and the Patriots don't run the ball. They just throw those short little quick little routes. So, um, I think their, their pass rush isn't going to have the time to get to Brady because he gets the ball out of his hands in three seconds and or two seconds and all that stuff. So ultimately, I think the Patriots win, but um, you know, I, I don't think the Patriots will overlook the Jaguars like the Steelers did, and I don't think that they'll be down fourteen nothing after the first quarter. So uh, I think, and it was even higher than that. It was Pittsburgh got a last second touchdown in the first half to to make it that that fourteen point spread at. at going into half, but uh, yeah. ultimately I think the, the Patriots win, but by probably seven instead of nine. <laughs> yeah, seven sounds about right. I'd probably take Jacksonville plus nine as well, especially in a championship game. Um, kind of on a prediction, though, to answer your question, I think he, he didn't even have a bad game per se, just in terms of some numbers we've seen in, in bigger matchups from him. I think Gronk has a bigger game. He, he had 80 yards and a touchdown, but I think – He'll have more than six catches. I think he gets utilized a little more, um, especially just trying to open it up a little bit more for the rest of that, that those weapons um, and kind yeah, of just I mean, getting that front seven to spread out a little bit. I think that's what makes him – you saw it with the Steelers uh, or against the Steelers, however many weeks ago that was, where you know, the Steelers started to try to stack it up against Tom and he just – he said, Rob, here you go, Rob. Take it down. Show them, show them, show them what's going on. And yeah. Basically – and the, the, Titans, the Titans really tried to take Ray Gronkowski all day. They had him doubled. They had him over the yeah. top. And it was, it was, I mean, his his yardage in that game was really when they tried to go single coverage on him and and failed. Um, because yeah. every time you do go single coverage, that's Brady's first look, especially with Edelman out. Um, I mean, Amadol, yeah. So, anyways, sorry, continue. Didn't mean to. No, no, I was going to say kind of the same image that you saw with Fournette yesterday or Sunday um, with Gronk against the Steelers, where. You know, you've th- almost half the defense trying to jump on this guy and can't bring him down. Um, like you just said, I mean, as soon as he gets one, you know, single coverage, if Tom gets anybody else involved or they're, you know, 
running back, their you know, dynamic running backs become even more of just a focal point. Um, and Gronk gets a single look. I think he he makes just such a huge difference in general. And I think he 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 might be a. Uh, I think Tom would probably get AFC Championship Player of the Game, but he'd be a, a big reason for it. I think. Yeah, and you know, there, there's been a lot of talk and in, in call for for him to be Rob Gronkowski, Rob Gronkowski to be sort of that MVP type in terms of you know you look when he's injured and the Patriots offense seems to stall sometimes and you know or if he gets shut down they seem to stall so there's been talk and and some clamoring for him to be that in in the MVP conversation but ultimately Jordy you need in order to beat the Patriots you need to put up seven points and the Patriots defense has proven just like they do every year and and just like uh, you and I talked about you gave me credit on the last pod um they bend and they don't break. They they allow you to get in the red zone and give you three instead of seven. Um, yep. And that's sort of been their MO and Belichick's MO. And, yeah, obviously they have some guys who are aggressive and try and turn, get turnovers and things like that. And they, you know, the Titans could have had a lot more field goals, but there was a lot of fourth downs. They they went for it because they needed to because they were down. And, and then you're in a passing situations and give up those sacks out of field goal range and things like that. So the – you really need to come away with seven points in the red zone. And Jacksonville did a good job of doing that against the Steelers. But ultimately I think the Patriots red zone defense is better than the Steelers. So, um, you know, we'll see, but I really think that the Patriots win probably by seven instead of the nine point spread that they currently have. Agreed there. All right, let's move over to the NFC and be- mainly just out of the, just cause we don't want to bury the lead of that game of, Yesterday, Sunday afternoon's game, that game, the Vikings and the Saints, Saints. Jesus Christ, lived up to all the hype. I thought it was going to be the best game of the weekend. It was um, back and forth the whole way. Obviously, the final play of the game, incredible. Was it the final five minutes? Yeah, the final five minutes were just nuts, completely back and forth. The The Saints take the lead. Then the Vikings get it back and the Saints get it back. And obviously the Vikings were the ones with the last laugh off Stefan Diggs. Yeah. The Saints, the Saints uh, for, for those who did watch, so we don't under, under sell it. The Saints came down, took the lead. The Vikings in the next drive kicked a field goal for a two point lead. Then the Saints came back and kicked a field goal for, or no, the Sa- Vikings had a one point lead. The Saints kicked a field goal for a uh, one point lead. One point lead. Yeah. And then the Vikings, essentially had 45 seconds uh, on the clock when they got the ball and Case Keenum threw a pass that was intended for the receiver to go out of bounds. But uh, the state's rookie defender shut his eyes and tried to make tried a tackle. To let, tried shut. to level him and just whiffed. Yeah. Tried to make a tackle with his eyes shut and completely was four, four or five feet away and, and, you know, put his head down and literally didn't see the defender go the other direction um, and digs the receiver for the Vikings who caught the ball, who was supposed to go out of bounds and stop the clock and get a game-winning field goal, said, okay, well, no one's going to cover me. I'm just going to run into the end zone. And uh, I thought it was crazy because, you know, they had to bring out Saints players back onto the field, uh, yeah. you know, because you can't end a game on a touchdown. And at, we can talk about that rule later. But um, it, great ending, great game. And, and uh, again, another another – dog another you know underdog essentially 
not that the Vikings should be, but you know the Saints the were Vikings favored. were favored, weren't they? I thought the Saints were favored. I thought no? it was Vikings minus six, but oh, um, okay, I'm wrong. That was now. the whole thing about them not kicking the field goal. Okay, you're right. My bad. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, um, maybe I just had the Saints. No, I mean, no, no. But to your point, I mean, they, the Vikings were. Matt and I talked about this last week. The Vikings were favored, but the Saints seemed like the slam dunk, especially once they got points. The slam dunk, dunk pick. I mean, yeah. I thought they didn't look great for a while. That Vikings defense held them off um, and did a really good job of of really up until the fourth quarter of making this seem like it was going to be a boring wash them out game and Drew Brees would kind of just fade out into the night. Uh, but no, Drew Brees and, and the rest of that offense showed why he's one of the better playoff quarterbacks in recent memory. Um and you know, made the gave us a thrilling finish. Yeah, the, but the on the rule, the rule is weird and kind of to, to build off of it. So Stefan Diggs scores, everybody's going nuts in Minnesota. The whole team charges onto the field. The Saints just book it. Um, and to what Greg was mentioning is that they by rule you can't end the game on the the touchdown, even though they walked off with the win and there's zero seconds on the clock. Um, they had to come out and kick the field goal. So. 11 dudes just strolled out to uh, to be on the field for the Vikings just taking a knee. Uh, and for some people failing to cover, other people's pushing, other people, uh, I think, got it because they had a five-point line. <laughs> but um, so, so, you know, explain this to me because in college, you know, we saw the national championship game. They didn't have to kick the field goal, and I think people were upset about that because the, the – the, that was overtime. So in the same thing in the NFL, if you score a touchdown in overtime and you win, it's good. I don't know why if if in regulation you have to. The Eagles had the same thing against the uh, the Raiders um, on Christmas night, where they the defense scored a touchdown and they still had to come out and, and do it, even though there were zero seconds on the clock. Um, I, I would guess maybe just because it's within regulation. Um, so you, I guess the regular. I don't, I don't know. I'd have to read the rule you know, to a T and figure out why, but um, I don't know why it can't just be like baseball where you win. So the game's over. You don't need to finish it out to completion. Um, yeah. It is a little weird. No, I, and, and I was, just, I mean, I, I get it. Cause they do it, you know, at, at halftime and, and even quarters, you get an untimed down for a penalty or, or um, so you kick the field goal before the next quarter would start. So I, I understand it there, but you're but end of the game, you know, why even put the players in that situation where you're asking for a fight, you're asking for some sort of embarrassment or some sort of, you know, if I if we had just lost a playoff game and I was forced to go out there and, and watch Case Keenum do his little fucking Viking chomp and and while they're waiting for the team and then all of a sudden watch him kneel down, I would, I would be pissed and go hard through the middle and try and mess up their day, if you will. Um, but you know, maybe I'm just a jerk. Um, compared to Who's it the bucks that used to do that on a knee when the teams would knee down at the end of games, Warren Sapp. Yeah. The, yeah. Uh, Warren Sapp would do it. Yeah. Tom can sue of his time, but, uh, you know, it, it's interesting. And you know, who's the saints? Um, who is that safety for the saints? Um, it's not Mitchell, but, um, I'd have to find his name. It wasn't Lattimore. Um, I'd have to find his name. I'd have to find his name. I'm sorry, but all shout out to him and kind of a, if he, if he makes that tackle, the Vikings are in, 
in in the field of play and they don't have a timeout. And exactly. Gonna- yeah. If he, if he just wraps him up, cause he, as you mentioned, he's two steps. He almost goes out of bounds. Cause it literally, it's a hook back out to the sideline and he catches it, has the wherewithal to turn back into the field of play. And his momentum still almost carries him out. Um, that the, digs? Yeah. Diggs. Stefan Diggs. Thank you. Uh, the Vikings receiver. Um, so he catches the ball and, you know the play. The play is the the route is designed for him to go out of bounds and stop the clock, so the Vikings can kick a field goal. But exactly, and the Saints, the Saints safety, who Jordy's supposed to know because he's the uh, he's the knowledgeable one. But uh, and Maddie would know this, so I'm a little embarrassed because you're making me. Well, look he's bad. Al- Matt's always better with the uh, he's always better with the defensive players than I am. So so if he makes that tackle or keeps because Stefan Diggs, the Vikings receiver, was in bounds. Um, and a good three, four steps away. So the, the the Saints' safety, if he doesn't close his eyes and put his head down, um, tackles Stefan Diggs, the Viking receiver, inbounds, is able to keep the clock running because the Vikings didn't have a timeout left, and the Saints win that game. But turns around, puts his head down, and closes his eyes and completely whiffs and, and tries to, like Jory said, go for the hit stick hit like in Madden instead of, the old wrap up, like they teach you in, you know, the first every time you play football, and and Diggs and the Vikings are able to have that one one game closer dream of being able to host or be be not host but be uh, a home team playing in their home stadium uh, for the Super Bowl. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, it'll be it'll be absolutely nuts. And the player's name is Marcus Williams. There it is. Missed him. Uh, yeah, I mean, he wraps them up it and, uh, it's a completely different story. You know, maybe it's easy breezy coming to Philly. Maybe it's still Minnesota on a walk-off field goal. Um, and I think, I think something that we're not talking about too is, you know, we talked about how the Steelers got off such, such a slow start. The saints were the same. They really did. They, they, they were 17, nothing at half. They were. They looked terrible, breezed through two picks. Like they, they did not look good, and and their their offense looked like they were being stalled. And the Vikings looked like they had it figured out. And obviously, their halftime adjustment for the Saints worked, but yeah. uh, it ultimately wasn't enough in the end because the Vikings it was getting so yeah that they even had like trick plays that they were throwing. Willie Sneed threw a pass. Like, yeah, yeah. Tr- they really were just trying to figure the fuck out. You're um, right. You're right. And and that's like. You know, a testament to the Vikings' defense and, and the way they came out in that game and, and really using that home crowd. And um, do you think uh, Case Keenum leading that little that little shot that they do, the little over-the-head Viking clap, if you will, um, do you think that's an ultimate, like, uh, disrespect sign? Or do you, I mean, I know he was doing it just to pump himself up and the crowd up, but, um, you know, you're already, you're already in a situation where, you're forcing 11 Saints players to come back on the field, to like even if it's like the the backup receivers or whatever for a kneel down. Are you are you uh you know just an ultimate taunting penalty? You know, if I was a Saints fan, how how should I how should I interpret that? How should I take that? I, I wouldn't necessarily take it that way because you might be doing the same thing in an opposite yeah. scenario. Um, the thing is, too, that I don't think any of the players realized, oh, we have to go back out on the field on both sides of the ball. Um, I mean, for for the, one of their guys was their punter that had a broken rib for the Saints uh, yeah. that, had, that came back out. 
So, I mean, really, it was just the probably the last 11 guys into the locker room were told, turn around, go out, let them do whatever. Um, you just do your job. I mean, go do that. If you want to take it as a sign of disrespect, remember it for next year. Like you said, they both won their division, so they're going to play each other. Um, so we'll see uh, how that goes. But whether or not it's disrespectful, again, I think – if it was something where they knew, were like they're on the field and before they snap the ball, they all do the chop, then I'd say it might be. But the fact that they had no idea that they even that you know they didn't know when they were coming back, they didn't know who was coming back, all that. I I wouldn't go that far. That might be just a little more outrage, a little more outrage than it needs to be. Yeah, ultimately I agree. I think it's just for me. I think it's like it's Case Keenum. So it's like yeah, you know, it's not like you're the superstar. It's not like you're you know, the guy you're, you're it's not like it's Diggs who did it, who just scored the touchdown. Right. This is, this is what case Keenum's like 15th shot. And yeah. you know, he's because of three injuries ahead of him, he was able to, to get this opportunity to start and, and lead this uh, terrible Viking offense. But um, anyways, let's move on to the other game of the weekend. Um, oh, the yeah. Falcons and Eagles. Um also a close game, also exciting. The Thunderblog crew seemed like they were there based on the Snap stories or the Insta- Instagram stories. If For those who don't follow uh, the Thunderblog on, on social media, Jordy, you can plug those right now. But uh, yes. those were good to watch those stories, and, and you guys had some pretty good seats. Yeah, so uh, all credit to Maddie D's girlfriend's family. They have uh, Eagle season tickets. Uh, and I was the, I've been the lucky beneficiary a number of times throughout my life. And I was this past Saturday, Maddie D usually has been getting it. Hence you seeing the stories on Thunderblog sports on Instagram or following our tweets at thunderblg on twitter.com. Uh, but I was there this week and there was a certain air in the, you know, in the atmosphere around Lincoln financial field. And it all revolved as much as you want to talk about Nick Foles and the fact that he just got it done. It all revolved around that defense. And we saw them come together like they have for most of the season. They didn't play so well in a couple games down the stretch of the regular season, but they came back after the Eagles get the ball. J.H.I.E. on the second play of the game, the first real play, because the first one's a pass interference call, fumbles the ball, and the defense comes right out and basically holds up Matt Ryan and this and this Falcons offense, this high-powered offense that we saw hang 40-something points on a number of teams this year. They pressure the fuck out of them. 11 quarterback hits, five pass deflections, three sacks, eight tackles for loss. I mean, this is what we needed out of them. This is what we saw. These guys play so well as a team. And to kind of reiterate a point that you made about Josh McDaniels, Jim Schwartz, the defensive coordinator of the Eagles, has been thrown around in a lot of different team names, the Giants being one, and I'd be really upset if he went there. But we're hoping to hell that he stays here because of how well he's rallied this defense over the last couple of years. We obviously have a very good front seven, and that's – Easily the the feature of the defense because the secondary is very young, aside from really Malcolm Jenkins, who led the team in tackles this week and played out of his mind. And he was the last to be introduced and the uh, player introductions and the place nearly looked like it was going to fall apart from how loud the crowd got for, for our guy, Malk. 
but Rodney McLeod played really well. Ronald Darby played really well, even though he, he had a couple, um, his coverage was a little suspect at times on Julio Jones. Um, but that defense played incredible. The offense looked good enough. As I said, uh, Alshon Jeffrey leading the way in yards, Jay Jai having just a big day and, and really making and sort of the irony of all of this, the Vikings fourth round pick that they sent over in exchange for Sam Bradford really pay off. Cause that's the, the draft pick they sent to Miami to bring Jay Jai in. Right. Um, so really it's funny how it all ends up that it's the Eagles and the Vikings. Two teams you, talk about, not- you, you talk about JGI, but he had a fumble early in that game, which did he not bode could- well and start well for. No. And that's the thing that's, that's weirdly optimistic about it. And it's crazy about this. Cause you, you, you had the same feeling with the giants, a game at the giants game in week 15, that they barely won. The defense played terrible. Nick Foles actually had a good game. Um, the offense looked decent or looked good in that one and then didn't look good down the stretch. There's always one glaring but fixable mistake, and this one happened to be the Eagles just turned the ball over because I'd argue the JGI fumble, which was pretty bad in the second play of the game, wasn't as bad as the fumble that the that was caused by the special teams uh, later in the – I think it, it might have been in the second quarter, but still in the first half – the Eagles force a punt, a three and out from the Falcons, and on the ensuing punt, bounces off a of Kenyon Barner, bounces off of, or, ba- or almost bounces off of Corey Clement, and then bounces off of Kenyon Barner, who is the other one of the other uh, you know backs to come defend uh, on the on the punt. But uh, the Falcons get the ball, and I'd argue that's even worse because the Falcons turn around, score there, uh, their touchdown, they lead. 10-9 at halftime because the Eagles end up missing a few end up missing their extra point um on the normally good Jake Elliott foot. Um but I mean that's seven points right there off of a turnover that well it's really... also tough too because Nick Foles should have their touchdown drive, Nick Foles should have had an interception, which would have changed the game completely. Um, but ultimately that that ball gets tipped by the Falcons defender there, yep. grabbed by the Eagles receiver um, in midfield. What's his name? Who grabbed that tip ball in, the, in midfield? Um, having trouble remembering who who grabbed it. Corey um, Smith, I think. I think it was. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it was the Tory Smith catch. Yeah, so Tory Smith grabbed. Uh, so Nick Foles throws a throws a basically a, an air ball in, 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 into triple coverage by the Falcons, yeah. and the Falcons defender goes up to catch it. It jumps, but. He bring he jumps so high, his knee essentially hits the ball out of midair, hits it backwards into Torrey Smith's um, arms, and and they convert convert a first down, then go down and and Legarrette Blunt ultimately ex former Patriot um, runs in the touchdown. But I, and you know the thing the thing that frustrated me the most about this game and watching it was six points total in the second half by a combined. Um, you know, you can you can talk about defense. You can talk about how good both teams' defenses were, and and how you know ultimately the Falcons and the Eagles' defense, you know, just like the Patriots, are built for that bend don't break, and the Eagles more so because they're more of a uh, uh, a turnover machine than the Patriots do. But um, you know, it's one of those things where you have to give credit where credit's due, and I think the Eagles' coaching staff, you touched on it a little bit. Um, Really, 
yeah, I mean, the Eagles coaching staff really all year, um, even taking Carson Wentz, who had zero – still, they have zero good receivers on their team. Yeah. But yet somehow, week in and week out, um, well, they're able Ertz to – Zach really the only elite caliber one, I'd say. Who? Zach Ertz, their tight end. Yeah, and, and, and you know, he – he was hurt for a good part of the year, right? He missed some games, but it wasn't, it was never back to back games, but he'd miss concussion or he, right. I think he had a, a bum ankle one game and missed a game. I think he but, missed the Broncos game. Right. But uh, the point is like, they, they don't have any elite or good wide receivers to sit, to speak of. And, you know, Carson Wentz and the play calling ability of, of that, of the Eagles and, and their defensive play call and, and even field position, you know, a big reason why the Eagles found success is, they their their field position they win the field position battle in game, um, and that's ultimately what's going to be a great um, you know th- a great matchup next week. The NFL and and the fans sort of uh, don't get that Eagle or the Falcons um, Patriots rematch, which some people were calling for. Um, but ultimately, in the end, um, you know I think the better team won, and the better team is moving on next weekend. Yeah, buddy. I'm just really excited. And the the Eagles, once again, open up as an underdog. These guys have taken that mantra and just really run with it as nobody doubts us. They all had the – I don't know if you saw this, Greg, but uh, and if you haven't, go check this out on a a number of different defensive players, uh, social media accounts, but whether it's Jalen Mills, Chris Long, on the offense – that's another ex-former Patriot. Um, former Patriots come to the Eagles and do very well. Your boy, Tusante Samuel, was a longtime Eagles defensive back favorite. But anyway, so they had uh, masks that they wore to kind of just run with the underdog theme. What did and they within, have? You cut out. They, dog masks. Ah. Like pl- plastic. Like, you know, those. The, the horse mask was always the big one for a while. Uh, that same sort of thing. Halloween, but, those Halloween little dog masks. Yeah, those Halloween things. Within, I think, hours of the Eagles game ending, the dog masks on Amazon sold out like that. <laughs> um, I mean, everybody's running with this theme. And like I said, kind of building into this, where you know, we knew when Carson Wentz went down that the dream you know, was was fading quick. So we know that uh, there's a bit of house money that we're playing with right now. And we're, we're going to ride this defense until we die and – just hope Nick job Nick Foles. I'm just called Nick Jobs. I'm done. And uh, I mean, that offense or the running backs continue or can pump it up, pump it through a little further, which might be tough this weekend against a good Viking defense. Yeah, I mean it honestly, could happen. Honestly, Jordy, I can't remember the last time the Patriots scored 15 points in a game, let alone 15 points and won a game. Yeah. Um, it, so. You know, it's it's a testament to, like you said, the defense and the play call. And quite frankly, that offense, while they may not have scored, they were on the field, t- time possession. They they were controlling the clock. They were controlling the game um, in terms of keeping Matt Ryan and that high-powered Falcons offense off of the field. Um, and in the end, I think that's that's what did it. I think they managed the game well. I think – they're, like I said, goes back to the coaching staff in terms of field position, managing the game well, calling the right plays, putting your your backup quarterback. Nick Foles, you know, yeah, he's a backup, but he still 
has a pretty decent career in the NFL. I mean, he's still better than, um, I would say, the bottom half of starting quarterbacks in the league, especially those teams who went one for or oh for um, or even two or three wins. You know, Nick Foles still, I think, has the ability to be better than, than you know, all three quarterbacks in Denver and, and obviously the Browns quarterbacks. And, and, you know, you can go up and down the league and Nick Foles would be a starter um, in a couple different places. But, you know, I think it's one of those things where you have to give the Eagles coaching staff um, a ton of credit. Like you Absolutely. said. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, like you said, how how do you how do you take a team that essentially had the best record in the NFL or tied for the best record in the NFL with the Patriots? How do you take a team like that and have the ability to to have everyone in the locker room believe that they're underdogs? Everyone in the locker room believe that they're not be they're not given a fair shot. Um, and rally you know it's hard to rally a team around a cause um you know sometimes winning a championship is not enough of a reason to get everyone on the same page and the coaching staff um really has like you said embraced this mantra of everybody versus us um which is the patriots way and and the patriots mantra again you know i think i think uh the eagles are just stealing some of the patriot things but whatever we can can talk about it later Uh Um, you know but stealing from the patriots no, but honestly, honestly, it's 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 a it's a great job and a great testament to, like I said, repeating myself. But um, the coaching staff and the team buying in, and the coaching staff being able to rally a whole bunch of guys who know that they're good, who have talent to be good, and and like I said, you have zero good receivers, um, and yet somehow they're in the NFC Championship game. Exactly. You're a good receiver. Survive in advance. You're a good receiver and a backup quarterback. And I guess ultimately you can look at the Giants and how good their receivers are. And they did nothing all year, you know, in terms of their team wins and things like that. So maybe Um, maybe the the new strategy is to get terrible, terrible wide receivers and and just build everywhere else. Well, that was kind of what we thought of, uh, Emily and I, when we were going to watch the Steelers game on Sunday. We were talking about this has a very – two years ago, Denver Broncos feeling to it of this offense that you're thinking, how the hell are they getting this done? And yet they still somehow beat the Patriots. And then they beat a Carolina Panther team that was doing the same stuff that the Vikings or the, that the, not the Vikings, the Falcons were doing last year and this year, good offense, pretty good defense, be unstoppable. And they were able to pull it off. That Broncos team also had, Really good wide receivers and Peyton. Yeah, that, that's where it kind of falls apart. You still have Demarius Thomas. You had a good, you had Manning, good running backs. And Peyton Manning, who, you know, I don't know if you know this, Jordy, but he's probably top five quarterback of all time. Not number one, oh, like Brady. But I've, ne- I've never heard of this man. Who yeah, is he? He he's the one who does all those um those little commercials. The Peyton. Oh, he's the, oh, he's, really the he's the he's the pizza guy. Um, I think he works with the pizza guy. He's the one who does the Peyton Manning stinks at football. <laughs> Peyton Manning takes HGA. Oh, oh yeah, he's a he's a record producer for uh, Peyton was- Manning teabagged his his uh, uh yeah, the Tennessee that? Tennessee athletic trainer. Ooh, Ooh. sorry, Ooh. Keep, keep, keep it PG for the kids at home. But you know, Jordy, honestly, um, it's something. It's a patriot. Not to compare it to the Patriots, but the Patriots really win with unnamed, unknown receivers and, and turn these guys into stars. And I think that's something that 
the the Eagles have been emulating and trying to do and, and you know having a good tight end, Gronk and Ertz. I think honestly, I think the Eagles are are being built um, like the Patriots. Difference being that the Eagles defense is significantly um, has a lot more talent um, and currently, and they're able to shut down teams uh, better than the Patriots defense. And you know, don't want to put the car before the horse, but you know, we can talk about that matchup. No, let's let's take it one game at a time. I'm uh, but my the, heart is still. Eagles recovering from Saturday. I I don't want to get ahead of our. I'm not pulling a. We're not pulling a Steelers here. Yeah, nice Eagles Vikings. Um, next week all roads lead through Philly. Um, to get back to Minnesota potentially. The Keystone. Yeah, e- <laughs> Eagles Vikings. Um, currently the Vikings are a three and a half point favorites. Yeah. Um. And do you think it's another 15 to 10 game? Do you think there's actually points being scored? You're talking about Case Keenum versus Nick Folds. Um, you know, the big joke now everyone's talking about is the Super Bowl between Blake Bortles and Nick Folds and how the NFL, that would be the last thing they wanted. But, um, you know, we're one game away from that potentially happening. Um, we're also one game away from Case Keenum versus, versus Blake Bortles, which also is – not that much great. They're not that much that worse. I don't think they want a home team in the Super Bowl. Nonetheless, the Case Keenum led home team in the Super Bowl. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you never know. I mean, and now, so so going back to it, two teams, thirteen and three, um, thirteen and three. Both teams having great years with with the, uh, and now both teams having backup quarterbacks, um, meaning the quarterback who didn't start the year for them, and and. Uh, you know, ultimately, it's funny because Sam Bradford was dressed the other day, so his return to 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 Philly, if you will. <laughs> um, you know, well, he already did return. The Vikings did come to Philly last year, and the Eagles did beat him. So that that is, he's already come back once. Sorry, just put it out. I didn't mean like a first return. I just meant he's okay. going back return. Right. Um, but yeah, what do you think? Do you think um, ultimately? Honest gut opinion, do you think that the Eagles can do enough to beat a team that's built very similarly in the same – two teams that look the same on paper and, uh, you know, one defense that – or both defenses love turnovers, both defenses love to get stops and are aggressive, and and both offenses built on run and managing – quarterbacks who can manage the – the game of play. Um, ultimately, what do you think? Who do you think uh, comes away with it? So my gut gut thought is this, and you mentioned it before with what the Eagles lack that the Vikings do have, and that's wide receivers. We saw obviously Stefan Diggs yesterday. Adam Thielen had a pretty good game. Um, he, uh, you know, to no fault of his own, is being overshadowed by Stefan Diggs's incredible last play. But those are two guys that have been threats all year. They've been great guys that have put up big numbers. Uh, and can certainly do that again. And one thing that's concerned me about the Eagles defense for as much as I love it, it was something that concerned me going into the season. They played very, very well, really. I would say in maybe 12, 13 of the 16 games um, was their cornerback play. The guys that are going to be covering Adam Thielen and Stefan Diggs. 
Ronald Darby, I mentioned it a little bit, had a little bit of trouble against Julio Jones. He'll probably be on digs. Adam Thielen will probably be guarded by Jalen Mills, who's played very well and has been a big part of what you'd referred to as the turnover machine. He's had a couple different interceptions. He had one return for a touchdown. That was pretty awesome, pretty emotional moment against the 49ers. Um, forget that they've also had their struggles throughout the year, and that's something that's probably going to be what this game comes down to is can they contain those those two guys because really you know you can talk about Kyle Rudolph and will he have a good game the Vikings tight end um obviously they have a the Eagles have a pretty good linebacking core that could contain him a little bit um but I think those two the two cornerbacks and unit up front pressuring Case Keenum enough to get him uncomfortable like they were able to with Matt Ryan. Um, you know, if you can do that and you can kind of overcome a potential fault from your two cornerbacks, I think it could happen. Um, I do. I would expect it to be lower scoring um, just from what we've se- what we've seen from yesterday. I think if you start trying to get higher and higher scoring, I think that bodes much more for the Vikings. So the over-under number is 38.5. I think if it goes over, the Vikings probably pull it out. Uh, for the Eagles to win, they got to keep it under. They got to probably keep it, I'd say, under... Uh, I would say under 35 is probably where they need to keep it under for uh, them to really have a, a realistic shot at it. I could see it being like a 21-17 game really, if the Eagles are going to win. Um, but if it really gets higher than that, I'd say if the Vikings put up more than 21 points, then the Eagles are going to find themselves in trouble. Yeah, it's funny, too, because you're talking about two teams that, um, you know, first of all, great takes. But you talk about two teams that really all year have pride themselves on saying, oh, we're under we're, we're underrated. You know, people don't give us chances. And I guess not all year, but, you know, now this is the Eagles new mantra. But this is the Vikings. That's what the Vikings have been saying all year. You know, it's. It's sort of two teams that have that motivation of being overlooked and, and, you know, now they find themselves in the NFC championship game and, you know, it, it's business as usual. I think the interesting thing here to note is that the Vikings, uh, two of their three losses came on the road. So, you know, going into Philadelphia um, and, and having to travel on the road, I ultimately I think is going to what is, is going to help the Eagles in the end. Yep. Um, just being able to have that home field advantage because we saw how crazy it was in Minnesota um, this past weekend. But, yep. um, you know, like I said, the Vikings losses, you know, came on the road. Two or three losses came on the or Yeah, two or three losses came on the road. So, yep. um, you know, including a loss of Carolina and a loss of Pittsburgh, two playoff teams. Um, whereas, you know, the Eagles have been pretty – I mean, what? They have seven wins at home. So the Eagles – the Eagles home all- record. Sorry, go ahead. Well, I was going to say their one loss was Week 17 at home against the Cowboys, which they didn't play very well. Nick Foles and Nate Sudfield played most of that game, and the starters sat. So you can attribute that to what you will. Kind of off your point though of the road losses. There's a couple stats that that were thrown thrown around in the the Philly Twitter sphere. Uh, one was art had already been used for the for the Falcons, but it still applies as the Vikings are a dome team. Dome teams in playoff games that uh, that are below forty degrees are like five and twenty six now that the Viking or that the Falcons have lost. The other that specifically applies to Case Keenum. If you exclude games in London, K- 
Case Keenum is 0-4 against teams that have a higher than like 600 winning percentage on the road. Um, obviously, you know, this does not, you know, indi- indicate, you know, future performance, but, uh, you know, that you're absolutely right that kind of taking, even if the, even if the Eagles home field advantage was just even in terms of adding, adding or subtracting away from your winning percentage, taking out the Vikings home field advantage. Cause if you watched any of that game yesterday, you heard that Viking horn call every five seconds. It felt like you saw how nuts they went whenever that defense did something, taking that away and then probably putting in close to uh, the same type of atmosphere in Philly um, certainly helps the Eagles. And it's why you, it's why you play the game. It's you, you play to win uh, and you play to get the home field advantage. Yeah, no. And, and you're right. And that's, and I, you know, the Eagles only loss at home was like you said, week 17 when they already had the home field advantage locked up and, and all that stuff. And they, so essentially they were undefeated at home this year. And, and that, you know, that's why you play. That's why you, that's why you work so hard to get those advantages. And that's something like, you know, they, people talk about how come the Patriots don't sit Brady and this and that for this exact reason. So they can host this type of game and, and the Eagles um, have this opportunity. And, and like I said, the cold and, and being outside, I think helps the Eagles 100%. And ultimately I think Case Keenum, I think Case Keenum struggles in this game more so than he did uh, against the Saints defense. While the Saints defense certainly is good, they also were very young in terms of having what four rookies starters. Um, So their, their defense um, again, good, but they have that young, that young group that will be good in a couple of years, but this year, um, you know, the, the stage might've been too big and being in that environment, that raucous crowd. Um, but I think, I think the way the Eagles win this game is forcing Case Keenum to huck and chuck the ball. Um, you know, yeah, Case Keenum was a good quarterback in, in, in college, but ultimately I think uh, Nick Folds has proven that he can do enough and, and make the easy, smart throw, and he doesn't try to force it too much. Um it's going to be a game of turnovers and which team can have the least amount of turnovers. And, and I'm going to go out and say that um, the Eagles being the home team have less turnovers or fewer turnovers. Sorry, English major you are, but um, have fewer turnovers. And, and ultimately JGI doesn't fumble like he he's been prone to do recently. Um, are you nervous for this game? Yes, absolutely. I was nervous for Saturday. I'm nervous for this one. Uh, there's certainly no confidence uh, on my end. There never really has been uh, for me. I've al- I've always had a slight uh, bit bout of nervousness when it's come to the Eagles this year. I think I've picked the other team plus points when they've been favored than I should have this year. But are you nervous because of Philadelphia um, sports history's past? And we can talk about. I saw a tweet from uh, one of the Thunder blog. Uh, golf members um thunder cup team thunder cup team members our team winning team uh you're my Shout out to us. but um i did see a tweet from him talking about philadelphia sports and and ultimately their last championship being 08 if i have that right yeah 08 the previous one before that was 1983 we're all very well uh, aware of that um and the yeah i mean you know and i said is, this is your nerves and your attitude because of that or are you Ultimately, if Carson Wentz was in this game, 
Do you think if Carson Wentz was in this game, I'd have all the confidence in the world. I'd still be nervous because, okay. you know, we've had that track record. And it it that was always kind of the mantra the entire year with with everybody here. It felt weird that we were we were the team all of a sudden that was up there that was being, you know, that everybody was comparing themselves to and ever in everything. We we didn't know how to take it. And then it was taken away from us oh so quickly with Carson. Well, the, Eagles had that, the Eagles had that for how many years with McNabb and and even when T.O. joined the squad. You yeah. Know? Well, well, T.O. Yeah. T.O. joining it. Um, no, I mean, oh, that year. Um, a good way. Oh, but, um, yeah, I mean, with, with the track record that we have with, I mean, we've just grown to be, become a little cynical. I mean, you can talk about the fans all you want, but, uh, you know, we've had, you know, a baseball team for almost 150 years now or 130 years. Um, they were the first team to 10,000 losses. The Sixers, um, have been around. They're one of the oldest teams in the NBA and, Obviously, didn't start in Philly, but yeah, so there was all the the public that had there. Even though we always knew, we always knew the Flyers. As I mentioned, they were a team of, of, with the Eagles that were always a bridesmaid, never a bride. Um, always made the playoffs. I think in fifty-one seasons, the Flyers have made forty playoffs and only have two Stanley Cups to show for it. Um, the Eagles have made the NFC Championship. I think now this is their eighth. Um, in the Super Bowl era and have only made two Super Bowls. Um, so really they're two for seven. Um, and w- even with McNabb, you had the four in a row that the fourth, you finally won the game. You had a fifth towards the end of his time uh, that you fall to a Cardinals team that you thwomped a couple weeks earlier. Um, and they obviously go lose to the Steelers. This is in 2008. Um, so, you know, there, there's a lot of that that's going on, but, in terms of why I'm nervous, I mean, this is a good Vikings team. They're a solid defense. Like you said, they're built very similar. So I've seen what our team can do. Obviously, the Eagles didn't play the Vikings this year at all. So that adds a little bit of air of mystery to it as well. Um, but we'll see how it goes. It's an exciting time to be here, but it's, you know, the heart the heart is racing. And it's, uh, you know, it it ho- hopefully uh, doesn't, doesn't uh, get too racing. Uh, unlike the, uh, did you see this when the Vikings won yesterday? A ton of people in Minnesota's Apple watches told them like, "Hey, you you might need to take a breath. Your heart, your heart's beating too fast and, and stuff like that." <laughs> they were worried they might be having like a cardiac event. That's awesome. No, and yeah. ultimately it was a great weekend of football. All four games. Um, I mean, I think we knew the Patriots were going to um, be able to handle the Titans, but I think the the four games really. Um, the four games really, really um, were great start to finish, and and um, Sunday being better than Saturday. But um, excited for the for this week coming up. Um, I'm going personally. Like I said, I think the Eagles get it done at home, um, and I think we get a Patriots Eagles uh, Super Bowl. I don't want to personally. I just in the end of the day. I think the Patriots are able to beat Jacksonville. Um, I think it's closer than people, you know, nine point. I think it's way closer than that. So I think Jacksonville, you have to give their defense credit for what they've been able to do all year. Um, And I think this, this Eagles Vikings game, personally, I want the Eagles to win just because I would hate to hear about the Vikings being at home for two straight weeks. I think that would just be the most nauseating and annoying thing to deal with for two weeks straight. Um, that would be terrible. Yeah, exactly. 
Uh, granted, I do like the Eagles and Philadelphia probably um, because of you and, and Maddie and your pod and, and everything. And so I do like them more than than um, the Vikings. Um, so that's probably it. But, again, at home. Pulling on my uh, heartstrings. At home, Jordy, the favorites, um, they worked hard all year for this. So I'm going to do that. You need to talk for two minutes because my mom's calling me for the fifth time. So just give me two minutes and uh, talk. Give us your predictions and final say on, on the weekend that was. All right. Yeah. So the weekend that was, yeah, we had the Eagles was down there. The atmosphere was incredible um, from the very opening of the day where I was invited. Then I wasn't invited and then uh, had to run down, get pretzels from, for the game and get down. And it was I had on a subway at noon and it was already packed to the brim. Uh, I made the joke that it was five people away from me in those pictures you see in Tokyo of people just pushed up against walls. Um, incredible time. Uh, incredible atmosphere. It was pretty cool to uh, have that. It was pretty emotional. Um, on my way back, same same type of deal. Just this real big air of an atmosphere of confidence, but you know, cautious confidence. I would say uh, was able to see that you know the Patriots and they got the job done. So that, like you said, Greg, it was probably the the only game that you knew wasn't going to be just a complete thriller. Uh, was shocked at the start of. The Steelers, but the Jacksonville Jaguars, their defense showed why they've been elite all season. Uh, and then we what hasn't been said about that Vikings game, I agree with you. I think it would be absolutely absurd to have the home team in the Super Bowl um, be the Vikings. If it was anybody, I mean, even if it was Miami or somebody like that, you know, in a, in a future Super Bowl, that'd be something different. I think the dome atmosphere, I think, is probably what's giving me this pause because just because you hear about it all the time, and obviously the Falcons a couple years ago pumping in noise uh, when they were still playing in the Georgia Dome. but Yeah, they still did this year. And even, Jordy, even – sorry to cut you off, but even like a couple years ago when the Giants um, – and when New York hosted, everyone was talking about the Giants the Jets. Like, I didn't want that. And, the, I mean, I don't know. Keep going. Sorry. No, 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 no. I agree with you. I mean, it just be – it would also just be this – you're right for two weeks to just be insufferable of hearing what it means to have a home Super Bowl team. I think we missed the boat not to be punny with the Vikings uh, home Super Bowl team. Cause now in this day of 24 hour news cycle coverage, I mean, think about last year, last spring when it was the Celtics, not the Celtics, the Cavaliers and the Warriors for the third time. And we had to wait two weeks because they won both won their respective conference championships so quickly that we just had to hear about, Oh, what's the rubber match going to be like? Oh, what what way can we look at it today? Oh, how can we dissect LeBron's shit today? Like, it right. was that. And the, this would probably be on steroids because it's the NFL and that's what they do. You know, media day would be flushed with it and we'd probably hear about the origin of the Viking horn by the time of it. Uh, and I'm not even just saying that as a fan of the team they're playing, but like, you know, that's all ESPN, NFL Network, whoever you choose to choose. Yeah, and especially especially for the team like the Patriots who were in the Super Bowl last year, and yeah. every story has been written about the Patriots that that could be written. You know, every yeah. every you know it was Deflategate, it was Spygate, it was everything possible, and now it's oh, when's everyone going to retire? And it's the same rhetoric over and over again. So they're looking and desperate for I think the Vikings to be in that situation just because of oh, the first time a, ho a host whatever in the new Super Bowl era or whatever it is, you know. 
yeah. I think that's ultimately what people are, or the, the media, I should say, is rooting for. And, and I personally would, regardless of, of who, you know, if the Patriots lose or win, whoever, whatever happens, I think I would just be more upset by the Vikings winning simply for that, that narrative and that rhetoric um, for the next two weeks. But no, ultimately, Jordy, time for you to make a pick. You never make picks. So you can you can avoid it and keep your streak alive. But three and a half point home dogs, the Eagles again, home dogs, three and a half point um, currently. So do you think they cut cover? Do you think they – what do you think? What do you think? Uh, uh, I want to Herbie it again like I did last week. Uh, Kirk Herbstreet, who d- never picks the games that he uh, calls. But yeah, you can I do might that. take – Listen, if you superstition guy, you can do that if you really yeah, want. I think I'm going to do that again. I would hammer the under. Um, I, I gave the keys kind of if it goes above that, I think the Vikings win. If it stays under 38 and a half, I think the Eagles can pull it out. Um, it, it, the one thing and just indifferent, like you would have thought about it last week. Case Keenum can't keep this up and it, he has and maybe he becomes the next Kurt Warner, but. I mean that's the only thing that I that I think, but I think it's just so hard, especially this this in emotionally invested. Um, it's it's tough. <laughs> hey, I hear you. I have to do it every year. Yeah. It's, tough. it's tough doing it every year. It's tough being good. Yeah, it's tough tough to be you. Tough to be you with your uh, four cha- all four major sports. Which on the city of champions thing, Boston is probably the only one that can say that maybe Chicago Pittsburgh can't cause they don't have a football team and their baseball team is the team. Everybody feels bad for, and they, <laughs> they they're becoming that again. Cause they just traded Garrett Cole to the, to the Astros. I'm talking about the pirates. So Pittsburgh can't say that. I don't care how many Super Bowls the Steelers have or Stanley cups. The penguins have. Yeah. But the they Steelers won Stanley cup when in the sixties, seventies, I mean, what, the, the Super Bowl, the they Super won Bowl? like three of the first eight. And then, what have they and done? Then they won lately? two with Big Ben, or they won four. They won a bunch in the seventies, and then they didn't win again until B- Big Ben's two. Right. So, I mean, I hear that, and t- like you said, two two major sports being good versus all uh, four. What was it? How much? What was the span that all four of your teams won the won all four championships? Like six years. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about oh, it was the Celtics in 08, the Red Sox in 07. And the, the Red Sox again, the, the Bruins in, in, the in Bruins 11. 11. So it's just like. Yeah. And then fit in the Patriots and Red Sox titles wherever. Well, it was, it was funny because there was a time when the team that hadn't won most recently was the Patriots. Yeah. So. Well, know, that's the thing, too, because Maddie D and I were talking about this because our colleague that we're speaking of, JSB, was getting really mad that Matt was trash talking him. Like, you know, the. the you. Boston, Philly, Chicago, they all have the quote, quote curses that they've over you know somewhat overcome. Philly is only one championship from the Billy Penn curse. Chicago overcame the Billy Goat. I mean, they all know kind of how to temper their expectations because of just prolonged periods of of suffering almost. So it's yeah. I mean, you guys have a bajillion titles and it's still you know how to win with grace. As you've always said, act like you've been there before. <laughs> Patriot mantra. So yeah. Let, that wraps up the football. Let's uh, quickly do the NHL. NHL, um, and and I'll make a quick point about the 76ers since this is my only chance to to talk about them. <laughs> um, the 76ers and this quote unquote process—they're still 
bottom of the league. Their record is still brutal. Um, the only thing different I would say this year is that they lose games by a lot closer than what they have been losing in the past. Um, you know, and quite frankly, they're a game uh, a game out of the playoffs, and they're one. That's game- what I was going to say. They're they're a game and a half out of the playoffs. They have a positive point differential. I'm sorry for interrupting you. No, but they're not the bottom of the league. They just they just turn the ball over too much. Yeah, but but I'm sorry, you continue. If, if you're not in the playoffs in the East, if you're not if you're not oh, in the playoffs, it's bad. You're the bottom of the league. Okay. Sorry, but like you know, the, I was there with the Celtics too. Like the East already is behind the West. You know, just in terms of talent. I mean, they're starting to catch up a little bit, but um, you know, like I said, the 76ers, if they if they can get in the playoffs this year, they can somehow sneak in and put it together. Um, you know, to get that playoff experience that goes a long way. I know the Celtics did that a couple of years ago and, and had that, that snuck in as the AC and got blown out in four straight games, but they had that sort of experience so that when they had it and when they had that run um, for the last two years, they had that experience. So ultimately I'm hoping for the 76ers to get in just for that reason, just because, um, you know, I think they'd be a fun team to watch. I think Embiid runs his mouth like, uh, like LeVar Ball does, but, I think it would be that's a fun narrative to start and more entertaining than LeVar Ball. Yeah, and, and that would be the Celtics as the one seed versus the 76ers as the eighth seed, which would be a, a, a four, maybe five game win for the Celtics. Um, that's my <laughs> quick take. That's my quick take on the on the 76ers. Let's move over to hockey. Um, there's a point that I've been wanting to make here for the Flyers, and you know, you and Maddie were talking about the Flyers' young talent and this and that, and you know, I just want to set the record straight. Um, from a non-biased perspective, you know, you look at the young talent in the NHL and the NHL and you don't think of the Philadelphia Flyers. You don't oh. think they're young guys because ultimately the young guys around the league are better than what the Flyers have. The Flyers are, the, sorry, the Flyers are in a tough position because they're caught in that limbo. They're caught in that, that in-between area, the in-between space where, yes, they are good enough to be potentially in the playoffs or right outside the playoffs – but no, they're not young like the like the um, like the Maple Leafs who are going to be good for years to come. They're not young like the Sabers who are building up. You know, they're not even Detroit has a ton of young talent. Um, and you can make Winnipeg. I'd yeah. argue your Bruins. Yeah, I mean, well, those teams are good. Those teams are in the playoffs. Um, I'm talking yeah. about non-playoff teams here. Well, Toronto's um, in the playoffs. Yeah, but I mean, how long is that going to last? Um, <laughs> no, no their division, their division, it can. They're ten points up on Detroit right now. Yeah. So and like, I mean, Vegas is young, and Calgary's young, and the Bruins are young, and um, Tampa has some young talent. Columbus has a new. The Devils have a young team. So Devils are super young. So ultimately, you know, the the Flyers are they're not a young team. They they're not. You know, Drew. Here's the issue, right? The Bruins, right? They're, they're veterans like Marchand and, and Bergeron and even Chara. You know, they're Marchand is a superstar. Marchand and Bergeron. Bergeron wins the Selkie every year. Um, Giroux and Wayne Simmons and whoever else is their their quote unquote veteran core is just not that good. Um, yes, Giroux is a good player, but ultimately he had his best years when the team around him was good. Um, mm-hmm. And I think the Flyers traded away some of their good young players a couple of years ago to make that run and ultimately came up short. Um, and unfortunately, I think the young talent around the league is better than what the Flyers currently have. 
Um, okay. And like you said, so, their goalie issue is is not going away anytime soon. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say the goalie issue is probably the most prevalent, uh, and it's probably not going to go away for a couple of years because Carter Hart seems like he'll be the future. He uh, is 19, just one player of the game in the gold medal game of the, gold, of the World Junior Championships. A couple points. Uh, Giroux still can put up numbers, and that's always been that's been a big talk of whether or not they should dump him or Jake Voracek, who you didn't mention. Um, Sean Couturier is still pretty young. He's third in the NHL in goals with 25 uh, and is 25 years old. Um, so he he at least could be something there. They do have young guys, but you absolutely hit the na- the nail on the head that they're not you know Travis Konechny, Nolan Patrick. They're not Patrick Line. They're not. Jack Eichel, they're not Connor McDavid, they're not these big names, um, but they're still talented. And, you know, you're not, but you don't have a superstar, and that's certainly, um, and as much of a team game as hockey is comparatively to basketball, even to football, where, you know, ironically, you know, or at least kind of the opposite of what we've been talking about, having a superstar quarterback or superstar running back makes a huge difference, um, but it still does in the NHL. I mean, Nikita Kucherov, Alex Ovechkin. They're right on top, right above them in terms of points. Johnny Goudreau, even with uh, the Calgary Flames, who we, did, we didn't even mention, they're still pretty young. He's up there in points. Nathan McKinnon's having a big bounce back here. These are all guys that were named up at the top, and I'm not calling Nolan Patrick a bust or anything like that. It's way too young to say that. But having that, having solid goaltending, uh, if you look at the rest of the top of the you know statistics and the top of the standings, there's a strong correlation there. Um yeah, well, and here's the thing: is you can't win the NHL in the NHL with one line. And no, you can't. Have, that's the Flyers' biggest issue: is they have one good have, line. That's all they have is one line. And that's all they've been hanging their hat on is one line for the last couple of years, and they're caught in this limbo, this limbo area of not being able to get out of their own way, essentially. And and yeah. they're not, they haven't been rebuilding. Yeah, Gibson's a good goalie, or um, Carter Hart's a good goalie, and, and you know you can compare him to Gibson from a couple of years ago who's now the Anaheim goalie in terms of dominating world juniors and coming in being ready to play. But, um, you know, they just – I think the Flyers need to a- obtain some young assets um, that can help them in, in the long run. And Gossifier, yeah, he came up and had a, a crazy little run there. But um, he's, having a, he's having a bounce back here too. No, I know. He, uh, he, did, know but- he did have a sophomore, sophomore sump last year, but Ghost is – Ghost and Provorov are having nice years. Provorov not necessarily statistically, but – he looks good when you see him live. No, I, I I agree with you. I'm just I'm just I wanted to to keep things in check for 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 those who listen to uh, to the pod because ultimately I think that the Flyers, um, you know, they that while good, they're caught in this limbo of of halfway in, halfway out. You know, they need to pick one. Um, and well, that's my two opinion. points. Oh, I agree with you. And if uh, we had remembered to lead off with the fact that I wrote the two recaps of the first half and the hockey roundup and its return, I did not pick the Flyers to make the playoffs. So we do need to we do need to remember that. I just am as a fan and seeing what they have down and down or up in Allentown with the Lehigh Valley Phantoms. Some of their younger guys that are still either in the CHL or even in the ECHL, um, it can be optimistic. And like you said, the one line, the one line plus an extra forward, uh, is not a sustainable model to, to last on. My thought and sort of hope 
is that the younger the younger players, whether it in none are superstar caliber. If this was NHL, they their you know potential would be you know top six. It wouldn't be elite. Um, you know, the, it, if they can come together, especially with the fact that they're still hanging around in there, they could sneak their way into a playoff game. But it would be probably another one and done for the for uh, the Flyers and their their long history of that. Yeah, but in terms of the playoffs. And that's, and that's the issue, Jordy, right? Is you yeah. on the head right there. They're caught in this limbo. Yes, the Flyers are a good team. Yes, they have one good line, maybe a line and a half, you could say, and they do have two or three good young guys, but it's not like they have a crop of, of young guys no. that they can build around for years to come. They had it with Giroux and Simmons and uh, even um, – What's the guy with the super long name? He's Van Riemsdyk. You know they had yeah had these that that core of young guys. That was a trade I hated when they traded yeah. him for Luke Shen. Yeah, they had that. They had that core they could have built around, but they, like you said, they traded some way their assets. They they now they're caught in this limbo of of good enough to make the playoffs, but not good enough to win, and or or not good enough to make the playoffs, but right on the the cusp. And you know they they need to do something to to fix that. I think personally. Um, but no, 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 I agree with you. That was my. Yeah, they're not. They're, that was my quick flyers take that I wanted to, to discuss with you uh, and and the pod listeners if they're still around after the football talk is over. Yeah, yeah, you know, I'm sure some people hung around and uh, took it. I mean, quickly before we wrap up, give me a give me a quick minute on the Bruins and what you think with them. Yeah, I mean the Bruin the Bruins um, kind of like the Celtics in that their young guys are playing. Um, sort of above what anyone expected currently. Um, they do the, – all four lines right now are clicking in all four lines. They're getting production from from all four of them. Obviously, they have um, Marchand and, and Bergeron line and Pashnak being the superstars, but um, all four lines have been scoring, and they're, they're on a 10-game 10, 10 point-slash-win streak. So um, they've just been crushing it. They came out of their five-day break and beat the Canadians on the road, um, which was another huge win for them. Um, Tuka Rask really was a snub and, and this year, you know, he, the all-star game, he's been playing lights out, um, as of late. And quite frankly, you know, it's one of those things where their young guys, yes, are playing above their standing and how long can it last? Um, you know, can, can the young guys maintain for a full 82 plus for the playoffs and everything? Um, and I, they're not going to catch the lightning because the lightning are that good, but the Bruins certainly look legit and they look for real um maybe not to win the cup this year but they look for real for a couple years to come being that they're young talented guys throughout the four all four lines um offensively and defensively you know charlie mack yeah exactly most of the young guys are are 18 19 20 21 so and they're playing regular shifts power play pk so um it's it's fun to see it's exciting to see and um the future is bright. You know, it shows like when, when Char retires and even Martian, I mean, even uh, Bergeron is what, like almost 30 or 30, he might be 29, somewhere there. So yeah, somewhere up there. So the point is that, you know, he's been in the league since he was 18. He's been playing hockey in the NHL since he was 18 years old and, and he still is pretty young. So um, they, they're going to be good for a couple of years. Um, and like I said, this year really allowing their young guys to, Develop, develop and get those significant playing time. And, and I think they've been impressed with, you know, they're winning. They, the Bruins view this year as a rebuilding year, but their young guys have been playing above their standing and, and above where 
that they thought they would. And so that's sort of why they've been so successful. But um, I personally have to depart the pod. So uh, I do as well. Let you wrap it up and, and uh, move on here. Let's do it. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you as always, Greg, you've always been a uh, awesome co-host to bring on. No, it's a pleasure. You're a great uh, love listening to the pod and, and, you know, you have you have uh, something special. Uh, you know, you're, you're the knowledge and, and the voice for this perfect uh, thing going on here. Um, and you, you know, you do things well, and and I commend that. Um, so nice Ooh. job, and and Maddie, I love listening to both you and Matt all year. And uh, you know, the football takes, and I've personally have uh, sounded more knowledgeable because of it. So I appreciate that. So thank you for having <laughs> me on, and. Uh, you know, pump, I think I pumped your tires up enough, just so everyone knows. I did send Jordy a bunch of uh, critiques and criticism, and I'm sorry for the hour and a half pod, but whenever Jordy and I get together, we just love to talk. So We just love to talk, and I always appreciate it. And, yeah, you, you know how to keep us in check, so we appreciate that. But that is going to wrap it up. i got to get to this Martin Luther King Day Sixers game, and I know uh, you got some other stuff to do on your day off as well. So I appreciate the time, Craig. As always, go follow us on social media. Thunder BLG is the Twitter. Thunderbox Sports are the uh, Facebook and Instagram accounts. Thunderboxsports.com. Go check out our blogs there. Uh, the Hockey Roundup should be returning for weekly coverage. So uh, keep go an eye out for that. Go who? Go Sox. Yeah, go go Phils. And we will uh, <laughs> sure be talking baseball soon. Um, and we'll, uh, you know, until then, though, this has been the Fun V Tailgate as part of the bullpen cart feed. I am the G-Man for my boy, Greg. We will talk to you soon. Have a good one, everybody.